0: Brandon Steiner. And this is Unplugged with Brandon Steiner. Well, here we are again with another episode of Unplugged and you know I always think about the what else and this next guest is is a friend and somebody I've gotten to know over the years that I think is and he's not an author, but I think his book is a must-list, a must read or listen to if you get it on tape, but um Living with a Navy SEAL is one of those books that had a profound effect on me. But this guy, if you knew him, would have a profound effect. Uh, Jesse Isler, welcome. Nice to have you. Uh, Nice to join us today. Thank you.
1: Thank you, man. I love what you're doing. I love what you're doing. So thanks for having me.
0: I've been following you, man. You seem energized. You seem, you know, it seems like you're on the move.
1: I'm on the move. I'm super happy to be alive. And uh, I'm trying to maximize whatever I got left. So yeah, I'm, what's not to be happy about? Very happy. That's a good
0: point. Here's the thing: like you're a limited partner in the Hawks. Like when the Hawks get knocked out, is that like how hurtful is that? Like and it's amazing you you own a piece of, of a professional team, which has got to be that's got to be have been on your bucket list. But are you, are you like depressed? Is that like
1: when I when I was a kid, my my parents were nice enough to send me to sleepaway camp, and I went for years. So they've invested thousands of dollars in Sleepaway Camp. And I went to a fantasy basketball camp. You might have even been there. I missed a layup to bring us into overtime in a championship game. This is 11 years ago. I think about it every month. I think (laughs) about it every month. I said, my parents invested so much money at Sleepaway Camp to learn how to make a layup. How did I blow a layup that would have brought this team? No one on the planet's thinking about it. I'm still not over it. The Hawks thing magnifies everything, magnifies that loss 11 years ago times 10, just the way we're wired.
0: Because you live you're so, in that team. You live in it.
1: I live in Atlanta. I was a season ticket holder before, you know, we became um, owners, part of the ownership group. So I fell in love with the city. I fell in love with the team. And, um, you know, look, it's uh, so it, it's, it's different than just having a rooting interest or, or being a, a super fan. It's, um, it becomes, you know, part of your DNA. So you take, you take it. I've lost a lot of interest in the NBA playoffs. I'm still following it, but not with the, with the you know, the way I want to be following it. So, um, but I'll be fine.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to when, you have, when, you, when you have a love for something and you get so connected and you get close with the team. And, you know, from a management standpoint, it's not like, you know, when you're a kid, you root for a team. and You just hope your team wins that night. Your player plays well. But when you grow up and you start getting invested in these teams, it's really about the whole season and where you end up. And it's a lot on your mind, actually, even as a fan, let alone an owner. You're a serial entrepreneur.
1: Just want to add one thing to that. It's funny you bring that up because I remember, you know, I wrote the theme song for the Knicks, Go New York Go, in 92. And it was a big deal in New York in the early 90s when the Knicks were, were rolling. And I remember when the Knicks got knocked out, right, we lost the championship, and the song was big. It was, it, was like, it was the number one most requested song on New York radio. And I just remember, I mean, I was a diehard Knicks fan. And I just remember when we lost, and all of a sudden, everything was like they just pulled the plug on radio. The song ended, the season ended, and it was so depressing. It was so depressing. So you go through a little bit of a funk, but it's, yeah. it's the nature of the business. And uh, I'm loving the opportunity and the experience, so it is what it is.
0: I remember that song. I mean, we were, we were, we were, The whole garden would be, you know, rocking and dancing to that song. It was just. But you're a serial entrepreneur, and, and that's always what intrigues me. I want to talk to you about today. Is, you know, where does that come from? And, what, and you know, for people listening, like, what are the key ingredients from your view of what it takes? Because you've started a lot of businesses. Sure, you've had some failures, some successes, but what are the key ingredients to being a successful entrepreneur? If you're young, or you or you're somebody thinking about going that route.
1: Well, you know, I think it depends on how old you are and where you are in your journey. But I think one of the common threads is having a true passion for the process. So I think a lot of people confuse passion and they'll say, young entrepreneurs, well, I have a lot of passion for what I'm doing or my product, or, you know, they create a widget and they have a lot of passion for this new invention and new new product that they've created. But that's a lot different than passion for the process because being an entrepreneur Um, you're going to go through ups, big ups, big downs, big swings. The unexpected happens. You might have plans one day to go with all of your friends to an amazing event and get a call and have to stay at the office. That's all part of the process. And if you don't have an appreciation for that, the good and the bad, then the journey probably won't happen because you have to understand, you know, I'm sure you went through it, but it's, it's the, it's the process. You're going in this as an entrepreneur and um, that I think is so important. And I think a lot of people take for granted that it's not just about the product. It's about, the, you know, we, we talked before we got on today about how battle-tested you are. You know, you've been through wars. You're an entrepreneur, and you've, you've had things happen, and you have to defend yourself, and you have to go after what's right, and sometimes you work with people you don't get along with. And all of these things are part of the process. But if you know that that's what you signed up for and you know that you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable, then that is, you know, that's going to make, I, I love think, that. A, really, a really key ingredient that people don't realize. Know so that you that, signed up for uncomfortability. Yeah, I mean, this is what I signed up for. I'm sorry I can't go out tonight, guys. I'm launching a company. You know what I mean? I'm a little bit out that. of balance.
0: Take me through one of your processes. I mean, you got Alphabet City, you have the Coconut Water Marquis Jets. You got—I uh, mean—you've got so many different ventures. Take me through one of those ventures. What your thinking was, and you know what—what what, what some of those ups and downs were.
1: Well, I always started out with the end with the end game in my head. Like I kind of always had a, a movie in my head, and I wrote the final script. So whether that was having with Marquis Jet a sale to ultimately Warren Buffett and NetJet, the the, the end game was kind of always like, we're going to build this monster. We're going to make, we're going to make people's lives better. We're going to, you know, service the heck out of everybody and make everybody feel like they're our only customer. Like all of that was already kind of planned. And then we had to go and write the script to fill in the blanks. So the storyline, being an entrepreneur is being a storyteller, right? You have to have the story in your head. You have to sell that story. You have to dream up that story. So, we always we were we were constantly writing and editing the script that we were in, and in all the businesses and I've been in, you know I've had success and plenty of egg on my face. Um, the unexpected has happened, and just going back to the process, it's you, there's two ways to deal with that. One way is frustration, giving up, quitting, um, panicking, um, you know, losing it, whatever you want to call it. And the other way is dealing with with a sense of gratitude of, I'm so lucky to have this opportunity. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to think of, of, I'm going to use this to get better. You know, which are are you going to choose? And in every venture we've had, I've had it with partners or by myself, I've had that that split-second decision, like, which direction am I going? Am I going to go AWOL, or am I going to approach this from a place of gratitude?
0: And do you feel like, especially when you've had failure, when things haven't gone all that well, do you have a hard time getting into the gratitude, though?
1: Well, I still, I still say to myself, no. I mean, of course not. But I still say to myself, I still pick myself up, dust my shoes off, put a smile on my face, and start the next day. You know? And by the way, it's the same with the wins. You know, I'm, I don't believe in celebrating wins for extended periods of time. I mean, once a win happened, it's past. Past tense, did it. Love that. I'm not thinking about marquee jet today. If you didn't bring it up, yeah. that would never even come into my head. That, that happened. That was a great journey for me. It ended up being a, a, you know, an amazing thing that changed my life. But what's next? Love what's that. next? How, what am I doing today? Next play. I mean, you're a next play guy. Next play. So, yes, it, it, it cuts both ways. It cuts both ways. So, I mean, yeah, I've had terrible things in, 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 that have happened to me. In, in, in you know, I've made people money and I've lost money. And that sucks. And you never get over that. But that's kind of like missing not. the layup. Yeah, exactly. It's the same
0: that's thing. I, that's why I feel. I mean, I'm still thinking of a layup I missed. You know, it's like you, you will lose a game and lose a dollar. You don't want to lose.
1: No, but let, let me tell you how I kind of look at it, just to kind of go full circle and answer the question. So, I was again, I was just talking about this recently to a friend, but the average American lives to be 78. So I'm, I'm 48, so I have 30 years of life left, if I'm average. If I'm average, that means that I only have 38% of my life left. 38% of my life, that's all I have left. So am I going to spend time... You know, dwelling about something that's bothering me or something that failed, or am I going to move on to the next play and try to like maximize those 38 years? Of course I am. Be insane not to. So that's sort of how you're asking me about my mindset as an entrepreneur. It's a sense of urgency, it's a passion, it's um, a commitment to being okay being uncomfortable, and it's a movie script a story that's in my head that has to come out. I have to now fill that, you know, play that role until, until the movie's completed.
0: Yeah. I agree with you a hundred percent. That that's, that's right on spot. I love that 78 years old and you know, man, the clock's ticking and you don't have time to really waste. Most people don't think they have time to do this or that, but you don't have time to waste and dwell.
1: No, I have 10,700 days left. If that, if that's true, And I sleep a third of it. So basically, I have 7,000 days left. And I have four kids and a million things that I want to add to my life resume. So I'm not, you know, my relationship, I I just got back from living on a monastery. I went and lived with um, a group of monks. And the one thing that really changed for me was my relationship with time. You know? So
0: so you're working on your next book. Which everybody, I, I can't wait for this book to come out. And your, know, the first book was living with a seal, which I just want to talk to you briefly about that in a minute. Which sure. was a game changer book, I think, for a lot of people. It obviously, did very well. If you haven't read it, you need to go to the bookstore right now and buy that. But living with a Navy SEAL and was so outrageous, but funny, but real. But now you decided to live with a monk.
1: I did. Well, I got so much out of immersing myself and living with a Navy, You know, living with a seal. I learned so much in such a short period of time that I realized that, you know, I don't retain much when I read for whatever reason. I wasn't born with that chip of DNA, so I could read, Same. you know, right I could, read, know. Read, I could read, read a whole book and love it, and then people will be like, well, what was in the book? And I'll be like, I don't even, I forgot the author's name. I don't know, <laughs> but I just know I loved it. But you really need to like
0: see it. it. You need to experience it to learn it.
1: I gotta learn. I gotta. I got experience it, and then I know it forever, and I know it better. So I lived with a Navy SEAL, and I, you know, that got me the, I got the mental side of it and the physical, but the mental toughness. I what got was the one of,
0: thing you got out of that experience? Now you're a year removed from it, from coming out with your book. Like, what's the one thing that you know for somebody out there listening that you really that was just that was the most important thing? Which you could probably go an hour on that book, but give me one thing.
1: Yeah. I would say that, you know, we, how I realized how much I was under indexing in multiple buckets of my life. And steel, as I refer to in the book, had a rule called the 40% rule. And that rule is when your brain tells you you're done and tells you to stop out of frustration, fatigue or whatever, you still have 40% more in the tank. And time and time again, that's come into my life and, and proven itself to be true. In races I'm a runner, in negotiations, in patience with my kids, I mean everything where I, I will remind myself that I still have forty percent more. And just by example, when I met SEAL, I was running a a, a relay race. It was a twenty four hour race and the format of it was I was doing with five friends. You run a mile, my friend runs a mile, I run a mile, and whatever team runs the most miles in 24 hours wins. Theo, who also was running this race, and I didn't know him at the time, had no one to relay with. He was his own one-man team for 24 hours. And he was a really big, muscular guy. weighed about 280 pounds. So by a mile 70, he had run so... He he had, you know, ran and put so much wear and tear on his body that his weight had caused him to break every single small bone in both of his feet. He, he literally shattered his feet, and he sat down in a chair. And I was like, "We got to get this guy to a hospital, you know." And he duct taped his feet, got out of his chair to run another thirty miles to get to a hundred, which was his goal. And I, the kind of trigger point for the book and for me was. I remember saying to myself, I have to meet this guy because I have to figure out whatever makes a guy like this tick, whatever that secret sauce is that got him out of his chair, that drive. If that could rub off on me and if I could teach that to my employees, if I could you know, implement that into my own personal well-being and lifestyle, then all the buckets in my life would be better. So that's why I cold called them and you know, I sat with him and I realized I'm never going to figure out the secret sauce in a five minute meeting. And I asked him to come live with me just out of nowhere. And he did for 31 days. And I wrote the book Living with a Seal.
0: Wow. That's insane. That's crazy.
1: I know. I love it. I love it. And and,
0: and, and not to get too much into more on in the book, but that, that guy pushed you. He, he pushed you around. He uh, pushed you every which way. But also pushed you to some simplicity and some, some really good messages along the way. To be able to get that other forty percent, you know, there's some other distractions that could be kind of shed. That's how I looked at that too. Like you can get rid of some distractions that really get in the way sometimes. Yeah, you doing more. That's cool. So yeah. you lived with them. You you lived in a monastery for thirty days. Like where was that?
1: Right. So I went the other direction after seal. I decided that I I you know I got the the mental side of it as far as like physical and mental with the seal. Now I want to get the spiritual side. And who better to go live with than, you know, those that have been deemed to be the happiest on the planet, monks. So I went and um, shaved my head and spent a couple of weeks on a monastery with uh, just me and eight monks. And it was outrageously interesting and hard, believe it or not, really hard. Wow. Wow.
0: I remember uh, there's a story Deepak Chopra talks about where he goes to live. He goes he's, a friend goes to live with a monk, and then he shaves his head. He's out in the town, you know, raising money. Uh, you know, has his robe on, and he decided to go for a run in in the forest. And uh, you know, they have no shoes on, so they're running. And, and the monk says to his friend, uh, "How are you?" He goes, "Well, actually, my feet hurt." He goes, "Well, both your feet hurt?" He goes, "Well, actually, no, just the foot that's touching the ground." He says, "Well, then focus on the other foot." and uh you know it's just kind of you know we're just like wow that's so true like everybody just tends to focus on the little problem they have instead of the 9900 really good things they got going on
1: exactly
0: so that must have been eye-opening i can't wait now can you pre-order that book or not quite yet
1: not quite yet but uh but pretty soon pretty soon i think uh I'm super excited about it.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm excited, really excited about it. About I can't it. wait to read it. That's awesome. Uh, anything else, you know, next steps for you, next things are you working on, or is, is your life full? Um, are you experiencing anything out of the ordinary here that's worth sharing?
1: <laughs> well, um, I'm involved. You know, I, I had a little – I dabbled in the food business with Zico Coconut Water, and we had a great, we had a great uh, turnout. We sold it to Coca-Cola, and now I'm involved in a product called um, – And this is not a. I'm not plugging this. I'm just you asked, and and, and, But it's interesting. It's called um, No Foods, and we have a line of wheat-free, gluten-free, grain-free products: breads, pancakes. It's called No Foods. No foods and no better foods. And um, I'm really excited about it. It's doing great. Tastes great. It's got a really, you know, these things are. There's um. I took a class. Brandon, I might have told you this story in college. I took a class and I call it the $160,000 lesson because tuition, where I went to school now, is $40,000 a year at American. It wasn't that when I went. Uh-huh. But for $160,000 of what my parents or what parents pay today, if you go full vote um, to American, I literally remember one thing, and it was the $160,000 lesson. And I was taking an advertising class, and my professor had told me we had to create a fictitious brand and present it as our final exam for this advertising class. And I chose this product called Aunt Franny's Brownie, which was um, a brownie company. I was thinking actually of starting because my roommate, Aunt Franny, was sending us brownies every month, and I'm like, these are unbelievable. I'm going to sell these after college. So I chose to use this opportunity in my advertising class to see how the professor in the class liked this whole advertising campaign. And I started pitching it from my final to the class, and the professor told me to stop in the middle of my presentation. And he asked me, like, kind of like nose-to-nose, almost like pissed off at me, what my point of differentiation is. And I explained that I'm a brownie, and I'm moist, and I'm gluten-free, and I'm colorful packaging. and he said, And he said, you know, there's a thousand brownies. And that could be anything, author, memorabilia guy, lawyer, restaurateur, whatever you do, there's a thousand of them. If you want to make it, you got to really, really, really stand out. So we have this company called No Better, no Better Bread, No Better Foods. And um, there's a million breads. There's a million muffins. But I actually think that this is a strong point of differentiation and it's wheat free there's very few products that are wheat free there's all kinds of studies but the book wheat belly about the negative impacts of wheat in our body yeah. it's grain free gluten free um i'm sorry it's grain free gluten free wheat free blah 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 but it tastes unbelievable and it's doing really well so that's what i'm working on i got a couple of hobby projects a new book living with the seal I got the hawks and uh i got my four kids
0: my full your, your cup is full man but do you think like you need to have like I noticed everything you mentioned the coconut water or even the private jets when you think about it or Alphabet City when you were rapping and the you were kind of in the you whole know, music mindset. Do you need to go invest and do things? Does it do you have a higher level of success because you're kind of truly into those things? You're into those products and, and it's kind of almost spiritually connected to them? Because you do eat, you're the first person that told me about the coconut water like over ten years ago. I never even heard of it.
1: I know, it goes back to what we. It goes back to what we talked to at the very, very beginning of the pod. It, I, you have to have a passion for the process. So I never had a passion for private jets. I never had a passion for coconut water, but I had a passion for the pro, for the process behind those products. So yeah. I was excited enough about them that the pro, that the passion for that to get back into the process, which is starting from the beginning, creating a name. Creating an identity, creating, you know, who's our customer, pricing it, all, all, you know, how are we going to advertise this? Who are we going to hire? Who's our team? What's our culture? All of those decisions, a lot of those decisions have nothing to do with the airplane being in the air or the coconut water being on the shelf. It's the process of being an entrepreneur. So for each of those businesses, it started for me around how, do I truly have the, the, the passion and the will to endure this journey for this particular product didn't start with me saying i love airplanes or i love coconut water like that love that it's it's a big big difference
0: how do do people follow you by the way if they want to you know if they want to follow you know some of the things i know you do some stuff on social media but what's the best way for people to kind of keep an eye on you
1: yeah yeah i'm at the number 100 mile man on Twitter and Instagram and I'm, I'm pretty active on it. And then I'm just, you know, on Facebook, Jesse, it's List.
0: dude. I got two issues. One, I got 10,700 days left. You really messed up my head today. And I love that by the way. And when you come out with this book, I'm hoping you're going to call me. We can come back onto this thing and get it on. So you can break the book down a little bit for my, for the listeners, because it's going to be spectacular as Navy SEAL was spectacular. Um, I I think I've given out well over 100 books. I can't tell how many people I've told to go buy it. It's that good. Um, So if you're out there listening, you don't want to buy the book, don't, because the only reason you wouldn't buy it is you're not capable of reading a book. You've got to read this book. It's a game changer. Uh, Love that book. Hey, keep up the good work. Sorry about your Hawks, but you could be a Nick fan. You know, I mean, God, we are just, oh. Keep up the good work. Final thoughts?
1: What, one, last, one last final thought that you triggered about the days, and you're talking about 10,700 days. Why I think that's relevant is I think, and it goes, again, just tying into this, this entrepreneurial theme that you're stressing today on the call or mentioning on the call, is a lot of people operate like they live forever, like they have enough time, like time is never going to end. I'll do it next week. I'll do it, I want to run a marathon. I'm going to do it next year. I'm going to do this in 2017. I'm just going to take this week off and start next week. I'm not going to start my diet now. I'm going to wait till January. And those days tick down. You can't stop the clock. When you realize that you only have a limited amount of time and and you repurpose your relationship with time, everything changes. How you approach your decision-making changes. Who you want to spend your time with changes. How you want to spend your time changes. And... I think that's a really critical decision-making process. Um, maybe this is, maybe this is a lesson learned from the monastery, but I think that's a really important yeah. thing to understand when you decide, you know, what you want to do with your life.
0: Reminds me, like in a football game, they're playing, they're playing, and all of a sudden, in the last two minutes, all this urgency, and it's every last little exactly. second matters. You know,
1: all of a sudden. But even the best teams that don't have that urgency can lose. If they just try to turn it on with two minutes left. Yeah. How many times have you seen that happen?
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So it happened with New England. Yeah, exactly. All right, brother. It's really great talking. We like to talk to you all day, man. Just so happy for your success. And I can't wait for the new book.
1: Keep it up. Keep doing good stuff, man.